Well, good morning. You guys, I'm glad you're here this morning, and uh, uh, we're beginning a new series called The Bible, or God Doesn't Say That, and probably one of the things that I enjoy the most as uh, in the pastoral role is I love what I will call, there's no other name for it, God conversations, and usually those happen after church, before church, or people want to walk out, and Brian and I get to have a lot of these, and I enjoy those because sometimes we talk about the history of the text, maybe a passage I used, and we talk about the history behind it, or, or maybe it's a terminology because you know if you've been here for a while, I love words. I think words matter in the text, and we always talk about words, and I enjoy those conversations, or even the conversations about theology going, you know, I never heard it that way. How does that impact my my bigger scope of my theology, and I love those conversations. But the conversations that make me kind of cringe are when you have those conversations, not all of you are brilliant, so it never happens here, but it's you know, other places I've seen these conversations and that I've been a part of. It's the kind of conversations where they'll say something, you know, well, well, God says this, and in my heart I know God never said that. So you're in a dilemma. Do I correct you in the moment, or do I just go, God love them and keep going, Right? And so I usually opt for the latter of the two. But here's just some things that I've heard over years of ministry. And let me give you a couple that aren't even on my sheet. I, I was at a funeral one time, and this person was, was a believer, and I heard this statement from one of the family members a long time ago. I said, you know what? God must have needed another angel. Anybody ever heard that one? Yeah. Wrong answer. You're creating the image of God. You don't want to be an angel. You're creating the image of God. And so, and then I've heard this, you know, uh, you know, when it comes to a funeral and someone passes away and it's, it's you know, uh, it's just that, you know, they're going to a better place. Well, if they don't know Jesus, they're not going to a better place. And we've got to be careful what we say. But here's a few other ones I've heard. One of them, and you saw in there, is what goes around comes around. Well, listen, that's not in the Bible. That's karma. That's a whole different category. That's a new age thinking that what goes around comes around. And we try to put it in the Christian context. I guess you would call that Christian karma. But it's not in here. Another comment you hear from time to time is, hey, follow your heart. How have you heard that one before? Just follow your heart. Come on, come on. You're, you're not raising your hand because you're afraid I'm going to slam it. And yes, I am. But I'm not saying you said it. I'm saying you've heard it. How many of you have heard follow your heart or follow your gut? Yeah, absolutely. It's not in here. You know what the Bible says about your heart? That it's deceitful above all else. Don't follow your heart. You're, it's going to lead you down a, an emotional path. You don't want to go that way. And then another one is this, and this is the one that really kind of makes me kind of hurt inside, is God helps those who what? Help themselves. Help themselves. <laughs> eh, wrong answer. <laughs> Not in there. This is one that I haven't heard in years, but I thought about it. Whenever God closes the door, he opens a window. No, when God closes the door, guess what? He just closed the door, <laughs> right? Not opening a window. There's a reason he shut the door. Then here's one. And, and this one is, man, this is deep. God never gives me more than I can handle. Now listen to this. Here's, and we're going to talk about this one in a couple of weeks. Here's the deal on that one. If that was true, we would never go through tragedy or loss, would we? Because in the moment of tragedy and loss, I know that what I'm going through is more than I can handle. And that saying is that God will never give us more than we can handle. Wrong, he does. And we'll find out why in a couple of weeks. And then here's a big one. God wants me to be happy. No, God wants you to be holy. There's a difference between happiness and holiness. Now, here's the reason I point these out. There is a danger in us buying into things that's not in the Bible. First, the danger is this, is that we wrongly think about God. 
We think wrongly about God. We assume some things of God that he never said, right? And so that's one danger. Another danger is we, we live wrongly for God. For example, if I believe the Bible teaches that, I, that God wants me to be happy, guess what pursuit I'm going to have in my life? Happiness. I'm going to pursue the selfish path to do whatever I can to be happy, and I'm going to live wrongly for God. But here's the big danger. You ready? That when I buy into things that's not in the Bible, not only does it make me think wrongly about God, not only does it cause me to live wrongly, it causes me, here it is, to blame God when things don't go the way they think that they should. So if I think God wants me to be happy, or if I think God will never give me more than I can handle, or if I think when he closes one door, he opens a window, and that doesn't happen, now I've got a scapegoat. Now I've got somebody I can blame and go, well, God, you said this, and God would be like, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. And I can't tell you the number of Christians that I've met that are angry with God over something he never said. Right? And so over the next five weeks, we can, listen, we can go forever on this journey. But for the next five weeks, we're going to unpack some pretty big statements. Some I've mentioned, some I haven't, about what people think the Bible says, but God never said it. And today we're going to look at probably my favorite one. And it's the, I've heard this a ton of times when people come to me and say, you know what? You know what God says? God says that we're never to judge Anyone else? Don't judge. How many of you ever heard that before in the church? Yeah, yeah. Now that makes me sad when people say that because here's, this, here's what that statement means. It's a blanket statement that means this, that while I may have a thought or a critical thought about the sin and actions of somebody else, I'm to keep them to myself because it's none of my what? Business, Business Right? And the reason it makes me sad that many of us think this is in the Bible that we're not to judge other people. And now some of you are like, oh no, I'm just going to so disagree with Doug today and you're going to cross your arms and sit there. Listen, just hang out with me. Because listen, I wish this statement was true. I do wish God had said it. Because now I'm off the hook, right? If this, isn't, if this is a true statement, then I'm off the hook about confronting anybody about sin or dealing with any kind of thing. But we're not off the hook. And the reason this is such a painful thing to think about, and when I hear people, it just makes me cringe, is because when I say that it's my responsibility just to not judge anybody, that God's word says we're never to judge anybody else, that means that not only have I misinterpreted and assumed some things about God, but it also means that I'm dismissing my God-given responsibility as a Christian. So, Doug, are you saying that it's our God-given responsibility as a believer at times to make judgment calls about other people's sin and actions and go to them, that is 100% what I'm telling you this morning. So where do we see that in Scripture? Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to be. So if you open your Bibles, there's two points. There's two points today I want to make about judging. What does the Bible teach about judging? So while you're in Matthew 7, I want you to just kind of hold that because I'm going to start in James chapter 4. And I want to read one verse, and here it is. James 4.11 says this. Do not speak evil against one another. Brothers, the one who speaks against a brother or judges, underline it, his brother, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. So what James is saying is, don't judge. It's the Greek word, kroneo. And literally what it means is, and you're like, well, Doug, you just said it's okay to judge at times, but now you're telling me James says, don't judge. No, what? here's what James is saying. James is saying the Bible condemns worldly judging. You want to write that down. The Bible condemns worldly judging. The Bible condemns worldly krino. That's the Greek word there. 
Now, what does that word define? Crino, the word for judge here in this text in James 4, and also Jesus used it, it literally means to, to pronounce judgment based on opinion of what is right and wrong. So in other words, if I think Brian's doing something wrong, and I go over here and I'm going to use crino or worldly judgment, I'm going to pronounce judgment on him based on my opinion of what is right and wrong. Do you see where this thing could go south in a hurry? Because based on what? My opinion, right? And here's the thing. When I judge other people, I pronounce judgment on other people based on my opinion. It typically is condemning, not caring. You know why it's condemning? Because I like my opinion. I'm emotionally connected to my opinion. I think I'm right. That's why I have this opinion. So if I judge other people based on my opinion of what is right and what's wrong, I will be very, very condemning. Let me give you some examples. And some of these are going to kind of maybe ruffle your neck feathers a little bit. The election that we endured. Thank God we endured it, right? There was a real mentality out there that if you were a Trump supporter, you hated women and you hated special needs people. And there was a real mentality, if you were a Hillary Clinton supporter, you were just ungodly and unbiblical and a whole bunch of things. There was some real tension, and even among people that I talked to, that in whichever camp you fell into, they automatically assumed some things based on their opinion of you, right? Let me give you one a little more practical. Food stamps. You ever been in line at Kroger or Walmart? And the part, not only does it take a long time, but they're using food stamps. How, don't raise your hand, but think about this. How many times... Do many of us, behind someone with food stamps, as they're getting their food, immediately form an opinion or want to cast judgment about the opinion we've already formed about this? Well, they must not work hard enough. They have to be on food stamps. Or they're working the system. Now, are there people that work the system? Yes. Are there people that need to work harder? Yes. But are there legitimate people who have a need that are doing all they can do, and this is where they find themselves in life? You better believe it. But we're real quick to go, oh, no, no, those people there, they don't need, oh, she's got an iPhone. I mean, what in the world does she need that for? Right? See, here's the problem. Listen, here's the problem of worldly judging. When we judge based on our opinion, we are assuming some things. We are assuming we know all the facts, and we're assuming we know all the motives behind it. And can I just tell you, when you assume things, you are very, very arrogant, See, worldly judging, worldly judging is based on opinion, not truth. Did you hear that? Worldly judging is based on opinion and is typically condemning. It is not based on truth. So the Bible condemns worldly judging where I impose my opinion and cast judgments on you based on my opinion rather than truth. However, the second thing I want you to know, which we're, really we're getting to Matthew, is this, is that, that the Bible does advocate biblical judgment calls. The Bible advocates biblical judgment calls. And here's what I mean by judgment calls. The Bible advocates us making judgments based on truth that is driven by compassion. Let me say it again so you can write that down. The Bible advocates that we do make judgments based on truth. Now, what is the truth I'm talking about? Am I talking about your truth? Yes or no? Talking about your truth? No. That's your opinion. I'm talking about this truth. The truth of God's word. Listen, this truth is the truth that we're talking about. Now, if you can't agree that this is truth, this message right now at this point is not for you. But I'm talking about this truth. That the Bible teaches us that we are to make some judgments based on the truth of God's word that is driven by compassion. Now, I want you to know this. Worldly judgment based on opinion condemning. 
biblical judgment calls based on truth and driven by compassion. Do you see the difference between the two? Come on, do you see the difference between the two? Just nod your heads. Are you with me this morning? Say amen. amen. I tell you, this is a tough topic, but it's one that we got to get a grip on. And let me tell you why. There's so many Christians that I've talked to that basically cop out with the verse that we're about to read in just a minute. Well, it's not my responsibility. And there's too many Christians walking around and people they know and love and care about that are deep in the sin, they're other believers, and they're doing nothing about it because they, the verse we're about to look at. And I'm just telling you, we need to understand the difference between worldly judging, opinion and condemning, and biblical judgment calls, truth and compassion. Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to be. If you have your Bibles, I want to read just a couple of verses and we're going to unpack them. Verse 1 says this. Jesus says this. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, when you read those two verses, let's just leave those up there if we can. When you read those two verses, your first assumption is, Doug, you're wrong. Jesus just said, don't judge. Right? In fact, he's using the word crino right here. But it's interesting, if you're going to take a passage, you've got to understand the whole context, and you've got to understand the whole Bible in context of that one verse. Did Jesus make judgment calls on people? Yes? Do we agree? Do we need to vote? Are we all in agreement? Jesus made judgment calls. In fact, he called the Pharisee, Pharisees a brood of vipers. Translation today, the scum of the earth. He called them that. In verse 6, you don't have to go there, but in verse 6 it says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs. Jesus says there's some people in the world that are dogs. There's some people in the world that are pigs. So don't, don't give up your holy stuff for those people, right? I mean, Jesus made some calls. In fact, verse 15, he says, there are going to be those who come to you like sheep, but they are wolves in sheep's clothing. He says there are people out there that are predators. Yes, Jesus made some judgment calls. So what Jesus is saying in verse 1 and 2 is not that you shouldn't form a thought or a critical thought and make judgment calls, but here's what Jesus is saying in verse 1 and 2. Can we put that back up, Emily? Verse 1 and 2, here's what Jesus is saying. That we are not to judge like the world judges with opinions that usually is driven by condemnation. Notice what he says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, Jesus is saying this, listen, if you're going to judge somebody, and you're going to use worldly judgments, in other words, your opinions of what is right and wrong, I want you to hear me. The same standard you use, and the same measure you use, will be the same standard which I judge you by, and the same standard and the measure which you are judged by as well. So in other words, and we all do this, we all judge people. We have a standard for people. And maybe that standard's up here. But if we started looking at our life, the, the standard we live by, somewhere down here. Right? Come on, am I right about that? We want to hold everybody up here? Well, I just can't, I just can't, I just can't, I can't believe that kind of language came out of their mouth. But yet we go home and all kinds of language comes out of our mouth, right? Or I just can't believe they did that. I can't believe the way they acted. But if we looked at our lives, we're much worse than that. And so we have everybody has to live by this standard up here, but yet we find ourselves living by this standard down here. And Jesus says, if you decide to judge, pronounce judgment based on your opinion and a standard you set for people, and that's how you judge people, guess what, buddy? That's how I'm going to judge you. In other words, what's good for the goose, good for the gander, right? And then he goes, I love this. 
And with the same measure you use, I will use it with you also. So in other words, when I judge someone based on this standard, even though I'm living at this standard, my judgment, because based on opinion, is typically going to be condemning. So if my judgment is condemning to other people, guess how God is going to judge me? Condemning. Now just a real quick question. How many of you want God to judge you by the standards you judge other people? Anybody? Any takers? Anybody? Why? Because we know we all blow it, don't we? But here's the deal. Today needs to be a wake-up call. Because there's some in your room, when I talked about judging others, when I start talking about the idea that it is biblical, you got plumb jacked up about that. You were excited, going, yes, I knew it was in there. Well, if you're excited, that's called arrogance and pride, and we got a problem, all right? But some of you, man, that's just your heartbeat. And here's the thing I want you to know is this, is that what Jesus is really saying is this, not that you can't form a thought or a critical thought about the sins of another believer or their actions and go to them, but when you judge them, don't judge like the world judges. Don't crino them. Don't use it based on your opinion, because if you do, the same standard and the same measure you judge them, you will also be judged. Do you know this really gets hard? is in parenting, <clears throat> right? How many of you have ever heard a parent tell their kid this? Don't do what I do, do what I say. <laughs> That's crino, right? Now, the interesting thing is this. Jesus is not saying don't form a thought. He's saying don't judge like the world. But here's the truth, in fact, and we're going to get to this in a minute. But the truth is this, that believers should make judgment calls regarding the sins and actions of other believers, now, notice I keep saying believers should make judgment calls based on other believers. Why are you not saying non-believers? Well, here's why. Paul is very clear. We don't have time to get to it today. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul is very clear that for a believer, our job is not to make judgment calls about lost people who don't know the Lord. It's in our job. Here's why. Lost people act what? Lost. They act lost. Can you expect an ungodly person to act godly? No. Shame on you if you try to. And the same token, the reason that we're not to make judgment calls about them is because if we know they don't know Christ, we should have one mission and one goal, and that's to share with them the love of Christ. My goal is to share the gospel with them, not to correct their sin because they don't know Jesus. That's why they're sinning to begin with. But I am saying this, the Bible clearly teaches that we should make judgment calls about other believers and their sins and their actions. Well, Doug, I'm not sure I agree. Well, let me just kind of jump off this for a minute. When you read the Bible, Paul wrote 13 letters to different people and churches. And in most of those letters, what is the purpose of the letter? To confront the sins of believers and to help them with what it means to live for God. If you don't believe me, just start reading in 1 Corinthians. Just start with that book. 1 Corinthians, you know what was going on in the church? Incest in the church. All this kind of sin and sexual morality was going on in the church. When they took the Lord's Supper, you know what they were doing? They were telling the people that didn't have much money, hey, you're not important here. You hang out to the side. Us really, the people that matter, the who's who of 1 Corinthians here in the church, we're going to set the table, and we're not just going to get eat, we're, eat the meal. We're going to get drunk on the meal, and we're going to do all this crazy stuff. And those of you that don't have as much money as we do, you're just not that important. And Paul starts addressing these issues. Paul understood that it's our biblical responsibility as a Christian to address the sins and actions of other believers. Listen to me, it is our biblical responsibility. But as we do it, our goal should be the same goal that Paul had. Not to condemn, 
but to restore. Did you hear me? This is where most believers really blow it. Because I want you to know you blew it. I want you to know that I know that you blew it. And I want you to feel guilty that you blew it. And it's condemning. But the reason we go to other believers who are in the midst of sin or their actions aren't lined up with the truth of God's word, the reason we go to them is not to condemn them, but to restore them. The Apostle Paul said that if you're a believer, our ministry is reconciliation. Our ministry is to reconcile people back to God and to reconcile people to each other. Our ministry is one of restoration, not condemnation. Now, verse 3 and 4, I want to read this because this is where Jesus really kind of gives us some insight and begins to condemn this idea of worldly judging, this crino. Verse 3, he says this. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? In other words, he kind of gives us the mindset of someone who's doing this crino, this worldly kind of judging. And what he lets us know is this. First of all, worldly judging notices other sins. Notice what Jesus said here. He said, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Now think about that. Think about that. Now, I just got some brand new glasses. But when I put this log up here by my eye, not in my eye because I'm not that dumb, but by my eye, I don't see you very clearly. And what Jesus is saying, listen, here's the deal. Here's why he condemns worldly judging. How is it that you can have a log hanging out of your eye and you never notice it? But you're convinced and you notice a speck in your eye. It's like, almost like I can look, like Heath, I can, I can, I can see this. Heath, I can see, this, I can see the speck in your eye, Heath. How hard do I have to work to not notice this but to see his speck? How, come on, come on. How ignorant do I have to be to not notice this but to see that. But how many of us have a log hanging out of our eyes? You know why we do that? Because I'd much rather get ticked off about your sin than deal with my sin. Right? I'd much rather get mad about your failures and your sins and where you struggle than to deal with a log that's hanging on my eye because the log's hanging on my eye because there's sin in my life and I just haven't dealt with that yet. And so Jesus wants us to know that worldly judging notices the other sins but ignores my sin. But he also says this, look here, he says in verse uh, 4, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log hanging out of your eye? In other words, worldly judging says, I want to address the speck that's in Heath's eye, but I'm not going to address the speck, that, the log that's hanging out of my eye. Now, just a real quick question here, all right? The other day I went to the eye doctor to get these glasses, and David went with me. And we're sitting there, and David has all these great questions. And he says, hey, uh, Dr. Kramer, what's a cataract? Okay, so she, begins, she gets this, like, this model out and begins to show us that cataract surgery is basically a clouding of a lens. If you're an optometrist, you're way smarter than I am, but this is just kind of what I heard her say. I could be wrong. But basically, it's a clouding of the lens behind the front lens of your eye. So they literally go in and they cut the front lens out and they pull it apart and they slide the cataract or the cloudy lens out and replace it with one that's clear. That's basically what they do. Now, here's a question for you. How many of you that would have to have that surgery with the doctor coming in with a log in his eye? Right? Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this cataract out of your eye. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I've I got to get the right angle here. But I'm going to take this, this issue out of your eye, but I, I somehow got to navigate around the log that's hanging in my eye. How many of you want that? Nobody wants that. Now, why is Jesus saying this stuff? He's showing us the absurdity that you and I think that we can go in a worldly way judging somebody else while there's a log that is stinking hanging out of our eye, 
right? But how many of you know Christians, or maybe you, that's what we do. I can see the sin in your life. I think I can. I'm going to assume it's there because I can't really see very good because right now I have a log sticking in my eye. But I'd rather address your issues than deal with a log that's hanging out of my eye. Are you getting the fact that I got a log hanging out of my eye that I'm not going to deal with? Some of us spiritually are walking around like this. Now, I love what Jesus says in verse 5. Just the first two words. He says this. You what? Hypocrite. hypocrite. You hypocrite. Now, he's condemning worldly judging. The kind of worldly judging that's based on an opinion, that's based, that's driven by condemnation, where I'm willing to point the speck out of your eye while I've got a log hanging in my eye. That is hypocritical when I think I can help Heath get the speck out of his eye when there's a boulder hanging out of my eye. That is hypocritical when I think that I can be godly but never address the sin that's in my life. Please hear me. When we live in that way, we're not living godly lives. When we think that we're on a mission to help everybody else, but not deal with the sin that is obvious in our own lives, we are not living for Christ at all. But then Jesus does something awesome. Jesus points out that if we are going to do it the right way, and we're going to make some biblical judgments as we should. You can read Matthew chapter 18. He talks about this. But if we're going to make some biblical judgments as we should, there is a prerequisite. Look at verse 5, the rest of it. He says this, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, how many of you are sitting there going, oh my gosh, I never thought of that. Right? So what Jesus is saying is an obvious statement that, listen, you're trying to do something that's wrong. You're just, you're a hypocrite. You are doing this crino thing. You are, worship, you, are, you are judging in a worldly kind of way. Listen to me. He never negated the fact that the speck in someone else's eye needed to be addressed. Jesus never said don't address it, did he? But he condemned the way they were addressing it. They were doing worldly way, the, their own opinions, their own condemnation. And she says, listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't go address a speck, but what I'm saying is, take the log out of your eye first. Now, how many of you think, I mean, how many of you wear contacts? Anybody? Okay. I don't wear contacts. There's too much work. But, you know, contacts, you'd hear people that get an eyelash or tear in it. How miserable is that little bit? Is it miserable? I would assume it is, right? I know sometimes when I've just stuck my finger in my eye, which is obviously what I do all in my pastime, I just stick myself in the eye. I mean, there's just a painful moment there. How bad would it feel if you had a log? Hey, I mean, Jesus, a log is not a metaphor for just a little stick. He says a log. Guess what he means? A log. In fact, some translations say a plank, which is even bigger than what we might even consider a log. But here's the deal. He says, here's the prerequisite. If you really care about that person's speck, even though I don't even think you can see clearly, here's the prerequisite to make a biblical judgment call on somebody else and to go to them and point out their sin. First, 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 take the log out of your eye. First, deal with the sin that's in your life. First, deal with what's going on in your heart and in your life and then you can see clearly. You know, it reminds me of the story when Jesus was sitting there and they brought the woman to Jesus that was caught in the act of adultery. Do you remember the story? And all these religious leaders came and they were trying to trick Jesus and they all picked up stones. 
And they're ready to stone her because by law, that's what they could do because she was being unfaithful and the guy she was sleeping with was unfaithful. But it's odd that they brought her and not him. But anyway, it's beside the point. I mean, they brought her to stone her. And Jesus just simply, the Bible says, just riding on the ground. He's just riding on the ground. He's just doodling, I guess. I don't know. We don't know what he wrote. And if anybody tells you they know what he wrote, they're wrong. The Bible doesn't say. He just wrote. And then he makes this comment. You without sin, you cast the first stone. Now, what was Jesus trying to do? He wanted the Pharisees and religious leaders to go, look, I get what you're doing. I get why you're here. And I'm not saying the reason you're here and what she's done is bad. I'm not advocating or condoning what she's done. But here's what I'm going to say. Before you stone her, before you cast judgment, you better check your own heart. You better make sure that you're without sin and get the log out of your eye first. And what does the Bible say happened? They just began to drop the stones and they walked away. Why did they walk away? Because they knew there was sin in their heart. And I just want to tell you, it is biblically our responsibility to go to other believers that we know and have seen them in sin or their actions are not in line with the truth of God's word. It's our responsibility to go to them, but we need to first check our own heart and make sure the log is out of our eye. Then go to our brother or sister. I love this story and what Jesus said here because Jesus never said, don't go. He never said, deal with the sin in your life and just let the rest be alone. He says this, look at verse 5, the very end. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So now it comes back to our brother or sister that's sinning. Jesus never says, take the log out of your own eye and leave them alone. Does he say that? No. He says, once you do this, then you can see things clearly, biblically, godly. Now you're able to go help them remove the speck out of their eye. Now, the reason I think that's so important for us is this. When I remove a log out of my eye before I go to anybody that's in known sin or their actions are not in line with God's word, the reason that when, when, I, when I take time to remove the log and the sin out of my life before I go do that, I will go to that person with humility instead of arrogance. I'll go to that person with compassion instead of condemnation. And I will go to that person with kindness instead of wrath. Now, which way do you think is more godly? Arrogance, condemning, and wrathful? Or humble, kind, and compassionate? Yeah, that's it. So when I take this out of my eye, spiritually, I'm now ready and equipped to go lovingly talk to my brother or sister in Christ. And my words won't be condemning. My words won't be arrogant. And my words will not be wrathful. They'll be loving. You know why they'll be loving? Because I want you to consider my struggles too. See, when you come to me and you say, Doug, you shouldn't be doing this, here's what I want you to know about me. I want you to know everything. I want you to know why I struggle the way I struggle. I want you to know the reason. I want you to know everything that led me up to the point of doing what I shouldn't have done. I want you to consider my totality of my life, not just the fact that I've blown it in this moment. Don't you want the same thing? Don't you want people to be considerate of your whole story, not just an event in your life? Yes, you do. And when I take the log out of my eye, I'm able to go in a godly way. Here's the thing I want you to know as a believer. The Bible is clear, and I want, maybe you need to write this down. When it comes to judging, we are not supposed to judge the world's way, which is opinion-based, but we are supposed to make judgment calls based on truth of God's word. But before we go, take the log out of our own eye. And then when we go, we'll go out of compassion, not condemnation. Now, I just want to be honest for a minute. 
This is way easier said than done, isn't it? Right? Isn't this way easier said than done? Because here's the deal. I'd much rather talk about your sin than have to dig up all my sin. Right? I'd much rather point out your mistakes and your failures and where your marriage stinks and where your relationships with God stink and where your relationships with other people stink. I'd much rather talk about your failures because if I got to talk about my stuff, that means I got to do some work on me and I got to do some digging on me. And quite frankly, I don't want to do the work because I know what log is in my eye. I'm just not sure I want to deal with it. So this is way easier to talk about than to really do, isn't it? But here's the deal. If we choose, if we choose and are unwilling to look at ourselves, anytime we pronounce judgment, it will always be in a condemning way, not in a biblical way. So I just have two questions for you this morning before I pray and dismiss us. And pray, pray and then we, come, we worship a little bit. And it's this, number one, do you know somebody who's a believer in your life that's in sin, their behavior, their actions, whatever, is, is not in line with God's word, do you know somebody that you probably need to have a conversation with about their behavior and their actions? I'm not gonna ask you to shout their name out. I'm not gonna ask you to write their name down. I'm just asking you, would you put that name in your head? Do you know someone who claims to be a Christian who's not living in line with the truth of God's word? Now, some of you go, well, Doug, you know what? But it's still not my responsibility. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. As a believer, it's our responsibility for other believers we know to go to them after we've moved the log out of our eye because our goal is to restore them, to reconcile them to ourselves if they've sinned against us or to God or to other people. Yes, it is your responsibility. And if you say it's not, you're, you're shirking your responsibility God has given you, right? So do you have a person that this week you need to go to? Do you have a name? Someone you know that you need to talk to. Second question is this. What log or what sin do you have in your life? What's the log that's hanging out of your eye that's, that's impacting your life? It's impacting your relationships. It's impacting your connection with other people and your connection with God. What is the sin that's in your life today that you need to deal with? And here's my prayer for us. First of all, that you'd make a commitment to go to that person. Now listen, is that easy or is that hard to do that? Yeah. Because chances are they don't even know you're coming. You know, chances are you're going to say, hey, you want to have lunch? Yeah, let's have lunch. And you just dropped a bombshell when you get there, right? And you're like, I don't want to do that. Listen, if you go in a loving, compassionate way because you've dealt with the sin that's in your life, it won't be a bombshell. Listen, going to someone, please hear me, is the most loving thing you can do. It is. One of the most loving things you can do. So I'm going to ask you this morning, would you make a commitment? If that person popped in your head, would you make a commitment to go to them? And second of all is this, is that would you make a commitment to deal with the sin that's in your life? And just a minute, I'm going to pray. And as the band begins to sing, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you, if you feel led, we have Lincoln logs, <laughs> pardon the expression, logs, that are up here on both sides of the room. And I'm going to ask you just to come grab these. And just take one of these as a reminder that we all have sin that we should deal with. And as a reminder that when that person that I know that I need to go confront with their sin and their actions, a reminder that I need to make sure that I deal with my sin first so that when I go, I will go with love and humility and kindness and compassion, not arrogance, not condemnation, and not wrath. So the minute when I pray, I'm just going to ask you, would you make that commitment to go to the person 
But most importantly, would you make a commitment to deal with the sin that's in your life? Would you make a commitment as this is a reminder that I've got some sin I've got to address? And before I even think about going to somebody, I need to deal with this that's in my life. I'm asking you to make that commitment. So if you would, as I, after I pray, as we start singing, would you just come and grab one of these logs and just keep it as that reminder. Let's pray together. Stand with me if you would. Father God, I love you. I thank you for today. I know this passage is such a weighty passage. It's such a weighty text because we just grow up in that mindset that we're just not to judge other people. And that's just not altogether what you've said. Yes, we're not to judge in a worldly way, which is based on opinion, but we are to make judgment calls based on the truth of your word. But God, I just, I just, I just know as sure as I'm standing here, that there's some people that we know that are deep into sin that we need to go in a loving, encouraging way. Just tell them we see the sin, we're here for them, we love them, and we want to help them down this journey. But God, I also know as we stand here, there's most of us, if not all of us, that got a log in our eye. They've got a sin that is just, it's irritating our life. It's irritating our relationships. It's irritating everything about us. And I pray today that we would deal with that sin, that we would come in a moment and grab one of these logs and keep it as a reminder that I've got sin that I've got to deal with. But also a reminder that before I would ever consider to go to somebody else, I need to make sure that I take the log out of my eye first. So God, just be with us. I know this is not a popular or easy topic, but it's one we've got to talk about. It's one that makes the church the church. We can no longer say it's none of our business and allow our friends and family that are believers just continue to walk down a path of destruction and disobedience. It's no longer acceptable for us to dismiss this. But we've got to take responsibility today for our own sin and take responsibility that you've given us to go to our brother or sister and confront them about their sin. God, just be with us today. We love you. We thank you. We celebrate you. And may you help us deal with the log that's huge in our life. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you feel that, please just come grab one. Take it back to your seat as a reminder of the sin that we've got to deal with and what we need to do before we go to anybody else. You can move right now if you feel led.